You're listening to episode 39 of season 13 of the GNU World Order for day 265 of 2019. So we're continuing our tour of all Linux packages ever, and today we're going to talk about nsinter, which is from which is a little command from the util Linux package. And honestly, it's probably the only one we will get to today because it's uh, it's a it's not a huge deal. The 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 command itself isn't that complex, but the the context you need in order to to talk about nsinter is kind of a big deal. It's 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 a big topic that will probably take a little while. So that's most likely what we'll get to today is nsinter and namespaces in Linux. That's the context around nsinter. So before we dive into that, let's do some listener feedback. Most recent listener feedback is from Ice Cream 95. If you've been listening to the show for a couple of months now you know this nick pretty well ice cream 95 sent me a lot of great information set me straight on a couple of things made some suggestions really appreciated he says that uh you can this is in response to m cookie he says to get more secure secure random strings you can run head dash c24 slash dev slash random pipe base 64 I, I like this method this is really cool he says you might need to run find slash uh, you know the root uh, partition in the background until the kernel can get enough entro- entropy uh, i did not find that to be the case on my system but my system's uh, pretty powerful and pretty quick i guess so let's see um let's let's try this for fun let's do a head um instead of the shortened version i'm going to do the long version of this command which is dash dash bytes equals 24 because that's what the dash C actually stands for. I thought it was count or something like that, but it's actually, or characters, but it's actually bytes. Dash dash bytes equals 24. And then we'll say, uh, let's see, uh, what was it? Oh yeah, uh, slash, slash dev, slash random, and then we're going to pipe it to base 64 and see what happens. Yep, that looks pretty good. That looks pretty random. Oh, and this one, now, the second time I do it, I see that there's a plus sign in the string. Now that may or may not work for you, depending on what you want. Um, the the base64 process doesn't just use alphanumeric characters. Oh, and there's a slash as well, the forward slash. So you could, I guess, do something like head dash dash bytes equals 24 slash dev slash random pipe base 64 pipe and then uh, said quote search or s slash square bracket square bracket colon punct colon square bracket square bracket slash i don't know then you'd have to come up with a a number that you want to use i guess non-randomly uh four uh and then slash g and then close quote and if we do that then we get we get strings without any non-numeric things and and quite likely wherever i see a four i could probably i could i could posit that that was a a slash or a plus or some some non-numeric symbol i mean it doesn't have to be the number four you could you could make it the letter a or or the letter Z, it doesn't really matter, and I'm sure there's some very clever way to come up with a with a, a pseudo-random replacement. That's only if you need, for some reason, only alphanumeric uh, strings. I don't know necessarily why you would need that, but um, you know how some things are. Okay, so that's that. Uh, the next comment I get is I got from Aver- 
a very violet, Avery violet, a very violet, I'm not really sure, A-V-E-R-Y, and then violet. And Avery violet uh, contacted me over Mastodon and said, in episode 1338 of New World Order, you talked about getting into Linux. I started using Linux when my parents gave me a low-spec netbook that barely ran the pre-installed OS, Windows 10. I installed Linux Mint and jumped right in, learning shell commands to do what a GUI couldn't. Throwing yourself directly into the fire might not work for everyone, but if you're naturally curious, I urge you to dive into Nix without looking back. That's a really cool story. I love hearing this kind of kind of tale, sort of origin stories. And honestly, I would have I would think that this would be more I, I kind of expected that this would be more common then at least anecdotally I can demonstrate it actually is. It being getting a netbook and and being introduced to Linux by it. I've already talked in this in this series about the EEE PC or the triple E PC from uh, Asus. Was it Asus or Acer? No, Asus. And 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 I remember it being sort of a, a kind of a game changer and I think I think looking back it still was just kind of getting Linux into people's homes like an actual instance of it of, of, of them almost knowing that it was Linux and kind of accepting that so I do think that was a big deal I think it was it could have been a bigger deal had 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 Asus sort of st- stuck to their guns and just said well this is this is the OS of this device but I mean, in a way, the triple EPC was as big a deal probably as Android is if, if we're looking at at people using Linux and sort of finding it normal to use Linux. That said, branding issues versus Linux versus Android, that sort of thing, not notwithstanding. But anyway, so I, I think I would have thought that this would have been a more common thing. It didn't end up being common. And yet there's... There's another level of this, which I don't think Avery, Avery Violet is saying. Avery Violet? Avery Violet? I'm not sure how to pronounce Nick nicknames from the internet. It's funny because when you read it in your in Mastodon, you don't really think about how to pronounce it. But then once you say it on a podcast, then you're you're suddenly doubting everything that you say. So Violet or B Girl, if I refer. Uh, to just the the Mastodon account name. So I think, and I don't think this is what Violet slash B-Girl is saying. I think Violet B-Girl, that's not bad. Um, I don't think this is what B-Girl is saying, but what what it makes me think of is the, the, the idea of, yeah, jumping into the fire or going cold turkey or whatever idiom you want to use for it, just sort of saying, okay, today is the day I am switching to Linux and I'll never look back. That kind of, that kind of decisive action I think would be more common. But I think, again, I, I think it's not as common as, as one might expect. I don't know why I think it would be more common. I think in, in one way, I think, the quintessential kind of power user or nerd or geek or whatever, I think that would be a thing that they would do. Just think, okay, well, I'm going to just start using Linux now. That's that's my new reality. But I don't think that's... It, like, in practice, I don't know how how easy it is to do that. I don't know how, how common that is or, or how realistic it is, how pragmatic it is. 
sometimes you just don't have the the luxury of of relearning everything that you once knew. That certainly was not the case with me. I, I wasn't able to just suddenly switch to Linux and not use anything else because there was everyday work to get done, whether it was schoolwork or, or work work or whatever. It was just it it when you when you switch like that, you you take a step back, and I think that's the the hardest thing for people to do is take that step back, learn what you need to learn, and then keep going from that point. Now, I think it's great that that B girl was able to do that, but I don't know that everyone is, and I, I certainly wasn't able to. I mean, there are probably degrees of it in a way you know if you choose to start using unix or linux or whatever then 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 isn't that kind of jumping into a fire even if you're not jumping right into the center of the fire and so you're kind of progressing from there but i think what's being described here where you just uninstall windows and then install linux i think that's a really cool thing and and i wonder now that linux is just easier and easier and easier to use i wonder if there will kind of be more instances of that i don't know i'm not sure um it feels like it should be and i you know in half of the time when i'm sitting around thinking of my linux history i think oh man wouldn't it have been great to get to have gotten into it much much sooner so i would have all those war stories like people like people do and and i think i've gotten over that a little bit because while it is cool to have all those war stories and stuff, uh, frankly, they're war stories. You know, it's like they're 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 things that sound neat in ret when you hear it, but if you actually have to go through it, it's not really all that great. They are war stories. They are stories of of unpleasant happenings, and it only sounds cool because we didn't have to go through the thing that it's describing. So I've kind of gotten over that, and now the the new thing is I wish I'd gotten into Linux much much later. Like I wish I was getting into it now to experience what what that must be like. Like what it, what must it be like to get into Linux in an in an in a time where you can install it and just have everything working on several several laptops. What must it be like to go to get into Linux in in such a way that you just go out and purchase a system 76 laptop and and now that's your computer that sort of thing i mean there's still there's still road bumps you know there are file formats that you have to get used to and the file closed formats that you have to abandon and applications that you have to get used to and applications you have to abandon and and i think there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of feeling it out sort of like well i heard through the grapevine that I could still use this other application that I used to use, but I have to use something called Wine or or something called Code. What's the what's the company Code Weavers or whatever? Um, code something. Uh, so should I try that? I mean, th this person on this forum says it's a great idea, and th these other people say it's a horrible idea, and these people say that I should just stick to the free and open source stuff but they kind of sound they they seem like they might just be engaged in a religious war here so maybe i should just be you know and it's just this whole thing so who knows maybe it's not maybe it's not any di different ultimately but it is interesting to think i guess about different 
experiences of, of switching to Linux or BSD or Unix or whatever it is. That's it for listener feedback, so let's continue into namespaces on Linux. Uh, but before we do that, actually, I should say, if you have stories of how you got into Linux, do let me know. I love hearing that sort of story, and I think other listeners will would, would enjoy it as well. Because even even when something is, is on the surface the same as some other story, the reactions are, are certainly unique to each person. So even if you and I both found Linux through the Triple EPC or something, the way that we find it will still be different. I did not, for the record, find Linux through the Triple EPC, but the reaction to it would be would be different. So it's probably a story worth hearing, a story worth telling whether you really think it is or not. Okay, so now we can cover namespace... Well, insinter is the command. That's the next one up in Unix, uh, in U- util Linux. And in order to understand what insinter does, we need to understand first about namespaces in Linux. And namespaces are, I mean, in anything, namespaces provide uniqueness. That's that's the purpose of a namespace. So if, for instance, for me, the easy example would be if if you're programming in something, for instance, C++, and you decide to use a, a library from some other, uh, from a non-standard place. So, for instance, or, or rather, a third-party library, right? So it's not C++, it's Boost. So if you're using Boost, then everything within Boost, in order to denote that it is contained in the Boost library set, you use the namespace of Boost. Whereas in C++, when you're normally using, you're just using your standard namespace. That's what namespaces do pretty much anywhere, anytime you hear that term, the idea is that there's some kind of designation, like in XML, there's some kind of designation that this property, even though it may have the same name as some other property, it's unique, because here I'm speaking about it within this namespace. And we even do that in real life. We we talk about certain things in different contexts, and there's an implied or sometimes explicit, although we don't usually call it a namespace in real life, but we do call it, for instance, context. So if you're talking about, uh, for instance, um, what kind of engine something is running, then in the car industry, you might be talking about a a, a certain kind of engine and, and an engine with certain kinds of capabilities, whereas in the computer industry, you're not talking about an, a physical V8 engine or something, you're talking about a or two horsepower engine, whatever. You're you're talking about uh, a, a a software technology. You, you might say, well, what wh- th- this software uses an engine X. Well, that's a bad example. An Apache or a PHP engine or a Python. Python is the engine or or whatever it might be. So you qualify things with namespaces. In Linux, the same thing happens. We have namespaces. Recently, we have namespaces. So this was introduced into Linux, into the kernel, over... So it was sort of slowly introduced. It was it was something that got sort of incrementally rolled into the Linux kernel over time. I don't remember the exact lineage or the exact uh, the, the delineation of each component, but you had things like namespaces, you had C groups, 
or control groups. You had containers that started sort of messing around in there. And you, you had all these related technologies that kind of coalesced into what we are now uh, proudly calling as Linux users containers because containers, and not everyone knows this, containers really are a Linux technology. It, it's It's a technology that you can say very fairly is unique and original with a caveat to to Linux. And the caveat is that BSD jails, I think, set set a set sort of the the stage for this the, the whole concept around this. But uh, the container thing, the the containers um, technology that is taking the server or serverless world by storm right now is is very much a Linux technology and while you know, you can certainly do things like run containers on a Windows server or or whatever you're you're the the whole the, this idea is that you are running Linux as a unique process and that's where namespaces come into play because a container is is really a lot less sort of physical and tangible than I think we usually picture when we think of a container. A container, you think of something having walls and having a definition and a shape to it, whereas on Linux, in software, the container, it, it doesn't have to be all in one physical dir or one one consolidated you know a folder it doesn't have to be in one place because there are these other things by which we measure the way that software interacts with other processes and those are um, process IDs PIDs uh, they are uh, environments they are root directories things like that so you don't have to you, you you don't have to say okay well this is my container and there it is it's one entity on the on the on the computer instead you can define containers by by parentage and by process IDs and so on so namespaces kind of exist on uh, in your file system, you can kind of get a feel for what namespaces exist in two different ways. The the first way, I guess the 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 technically the, the way that is available to me on Slackware because I've got util Linux 2.27 is to simply look in the slash proc directory. So if I do an uh, ls, let me get over to a terminal here. Um, actually, I'm going to become root for this just because I feel like it's going to be handy to be root for this. So I'm uh, root, and then I'm going to look in. I'm just going to do an ls of proc, and then I'm going to do uh, asterisk, and then I'm going to do ns for namespace. And that returns uh, quite a few results of, for instance, proc 78, proc 7, proc 8, proc 911, proc 912, and so on. So it's, it's, it's all the... PIDs on my system and sort of the definitions of of their environments underneath them. So for instance, proc, I'll just take, well, let, let me do pid of bash. And it looks like the 
my current bash PID is 27.222. So I'll do an ls slash proc slash 27.222 slash ns for namespace. And it looks like I've got six directory or six entities there. There's IPC, there's MNT, net, PID, user, and UTS. So that's a normal that's a normal listing of, of a process within proc. Not 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 too big of a deal yet. So now what we're gonna do is we'll we'll first prove that we're not running TCSH. Uh, that's just a an, an example that I just sort of came up with right away because I, I know that that if you're running one you're probably not running the other. So I'm gonna do pit of TCSH nothing. I'm gonna do a pseudo pit of TCSH just to make sure. It's not being run. That's the wrong password. Um, just to make sure that it's not being run. There we go. Nothing. Yeah, I get nothing in return. So I'm not running TCSH right now. What I'm going to do now that I've demonstrated that I'm not running TCSH is I'm going to start TCSH, but I'm going to do it by creating a new, whilst creating a new namespace. And the way that you do that is with not in s enter. You do it with a command called unshare, which uh, really I shouldn't be talking about yet because it doesn't come up come up until later in util Linux. But it's kind of hard to, again to sort of talk about in s enter without demonstrating this first. So unshare runs a program with a different namespace than its actual parent. That's what unshare does. And the way that we can do that is sudo unshare dash f dash p. And those both of them stand for the dash f is a uh, fork. And the dash p is uh, pro uh, pid, process, pid, whatever. It's actually pid, so that's what that is. Um, and then we'll do a space dash dash mount dash proc. And then the command that we want to run as a forked process with a new namespace and mounted under proc, tcsh. That's what I want to run, just for demonstration purposes. I do that, and it it, it drops me into a tcsh uh, session. I can even do, from within this session, pid of tcsh, and it tells me it's pid1. Wait a minute, what? Pid1? Yeah, that's right. So this is a new namespace. So as far as this namespace is concerned, TCSH is the first and original process of its environment. So it's TCSH, PID1. Now, obviously, in real life, if I do PS space 1, for instance, I, I get returned PID1 is uh, command init, which is what you should see no matter what. That's that's PID one on a Linux system is the init system whatever it may be whether it's um, system D or it just init or ninit or minit it does or uh, what's the other one RC uh, OpenRC whatever it might be that shouldn't be TCSH it should be the init system now if I do a this is where it gets even more interesting right so PID of PID of TCSH is one according to itself, but over here in my other terminal, if I do sudo uh, pid of TCSH, and we know that this is the only TCSH session we have running, 
So I do that, and it returns 28681. And in fact, if I do a PS tree and I'll pipe it through less, and then I'll search for TCSH, actually just CSH, because I'm not sure how it gets listed. Uh, here it is. It gets listed under, yeah, it's, it's getting listed under a bunch of other processes. Clearly not PID, PID1. It's clearly the child of, um, of this of this bash session, which in turn is a child of URXVT, which in turn is a child of KDE init 4, and so on. So it's it's definitely not PID1. But outside of the, the namespace, the, the PID is is seen as one thing, but inside the namespace, the PID is completely different. So that's um that's namespaces. That's how to create a namespace. And what does it all mean? Well, insinter is a way to sort of dip into that namespace for for a command. So, for instance, have you ever? I know that a lot of us use SSH as a, in a very interactive way. But if you've ever issued a command remotely via SSH, this is kind of like that. So you're you, you do like insinter insinter uh, probably sudo actually. So sudo insinter dash. Let's do all. So we're, we're entering all namespaces of, let's do dash dash pid equals uh, file. So we're going to have to show, I think we're going to have to point it to a file, which is slash proc slash, uh, what did I say, 28681. Okay, so here's what we'll do. We'll do a um, sudo insinter dash dash pid equals slash proc slash 28681 slash ns, so now we're in the namespace uh, directory, and then pid, P-I-D. And then we're going to do, um, we'll, we'll just issue the command uh, ping 8.8.8.8. Okay, so that's running. Now we'll go over to our terminal running, our little tcsh shell and we'll do a pid of ping and it confirms that the pid of ping from within the container again is 23. Now if we go over to our other terminal outside of our outside of our uh, of our container and do a pid of ping we get 29332. So we've successfully run a ping command inside the namespace of this TCSH process. And once again, we're seeing different results of, of the PIDs as seen, as interpreted by whether you're inside the container or whether you're outside the container. And that's what insinter does. So it kind of dips into the namespace uh, of whatever you define, and it runs a command. If you don't give it a command, according to the man page, uh, let's see, according to the man page, if you don't provide a command, 
it executes a shell somewhere. I'm not seeing that now, but I read that before, so just trust me. Uh, if, if you don't provide a, if, if program is not given, then shell is run. Default is slash bin slash sh. So you could just ns enter that namespace and drop yourself into a shell. I have found in playing around with this, uh, that, and, and all I've done is play around with this. I don't use, to be clear, I don't use unshare or ns enter or anything like that in real life. The closest I, I've gotten to this is using Kubernetes, which leverages a bunch of, you know, all of these kinds of, all, all of that same namespace stuff f to, to build containers and, and pods and so on. But while playing around with these commands directly, I have the, the main problem that I've had or the, the, the challenge that I've encountered is knowing where to... Uh, change the namespace into which what what manner of namespace whether it's the net or the mount or the pid or whatever so that that's been a little bit of a challenge for me to try to figure out from all the documentation uh, but then again I don't really have to I don't have a need for this so that's how it can be used that's what it does that's the purpose ns enter to dip into the namespace to or to enter the namespace ns enter unshare to create a a child process that divorces itself from the parent forks itself off from the parent and remember the the commands there that you need is un, or the options rather unshare dash f p dash dash mount dash proc so that's fork and then pid and then uh, mount mount proc and then whatever command you want to to fork you wouldn't probably use these yourself directly for what everyone actually uses them uses this technology for, which is containers. I, I doubt that you would be building your own infrastructure with unshare and and you probably wouldn't be using NSenter, although you certainly could. NSenter is a valid command for lots of different things, and it is looking at all the same uh, technologies and and uh, the same engine in the computer namespace as as everything else so like everything else meaning like related related um technology so for instance if you were running a docker container somewhere you can certainly use docker like a, a docker command to get into into the container the docker container but then again you can also actually just use nsenter it's not super straightforward but I mean, you can do it. I I found it online. It says that you can do sudo nsenter dash t um, backtick docker docker inspect dash dash format and then a bunch of other stuff about the state and the pid of that container and then docker ps dash lq and a bunch of other single letter options that I have no idea what they do. But you can you know so in other words, they're sort of they have to use Docker to introspect the the docker container to find out where they want to ns enter into but once they have all that information they can use ns enter to get into that container into that namespace i should i should specify that they're getting into that namespace and there's a whole bunch of interesting sort of ramifications around this too um there's there's the 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 namespace technology and then there's the way that the container technologies that spring forth 
from the, this namespace and C group and all that other sort of stuff that got built into the kernel. It's how they actually utilize them. So for instance, Docker apparently, and I haven't actually looked at this, this is a, a blog that I'll, I'll put a link to this in the show notes, but apparently Docker, for instance, that a Docker container marks PID1 as, um, as whatever the entry point happens to have been, just like when we launched TCSH ourselves with unshare, whereas more more sort of like later technologies that sort of looked at the problem from a little bit a little bit of of the benefit of seeing where docker sort of just hurried into this you know created this this tool set which i mean in itself of course lxc as far as i know preceded docker so i don't know why docker didn't sort of take a lesson from lxc but um anyway more modern solutions like RKT, which I think came out of the CoreOS project, they allow PID1 to remain reserved within that container, simply because a lot of times applications written for Linux don't bother looking at PID1. They, you know, everyone knows what that is. So if your process, if some important thing is running as, as PID1, that can cause surprising and and maybe even unforeseen problems and so that's not necessarily something that you want to do and apparently docker just kind of kind of looks past that and i'm not sure who's adjusting for the problems or if these problems are just theoretical i i don't know i haven't done enough research into it but it's an interesting read uh this this blog post uh, it's hackernoon.com slash the dash curious dash case dash of dash pid dash namespaces dash one c e eight six b six b c nine zero zero. So if you want to just type that in, you, you can read it yourself, or I'll put it in the show notes and you can read it at your leisure. So that's everything about namespaces and ns enter. And honestly, that didn't take as long as I thought. I, I thought that it would be a, a lot more complex than that, but as a summary that kind of works and since it's kind of long enough to be self-contained i think i'll just end this episode here it's a bit short i know but but i think i think that's actually a really good sort of wrap up or or a, a little a nice little wrapper around the namespace issue and of course this isn't the last we'll hear of it we'll hear of it again when we do get to unshare in uh util linux we'll hear about it again a little bit when we talk about lxc uh, and, and I'm sure it'll pop... Oh, cgroups, maybe? Is there a command uh, for cgroups? I don't know. But yeah, it'll come up again, I'm sure. You'll hear... This is not the last you've heard of it. And it is something worth looking into. If you haven't really investigated this side of PIDs and namespaces and stuff like that, it's something to start dipping your toes into because it really is. It's it's changing the way that that a lot of services are being run. And it's just worth no- knowing. Um you, you you can kind of avoid it for a long time, but eventually it's gonna you're gonna run into it. You're gonna run into something that only provides a Docker container for installing, or that only provides you know something for OpenShift. That 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 that's the only way that you can run this thing. Love it or hate it, that's that's it's a thing that's happening right now. People are really jumping on board. 
the whole cloud native sort of development stuff and it's it's worth knowing you don't have to necessarily dive into it but you may as well kind of dip your toes or you could take a lesson from Avery Violet and just jump right in all the way just get rid of your computer live on on OpenShift and uh, be cloud native I'm not necessarily recommending that I'm just saying you could do that Anyway, that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to the GNU World Order Cast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as Augcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at Klaatu at member.fsf.org. That's Klaatu at member.fsf as in free software foundation.org and of course you can visit my various websites gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info I will see you next time a much more productive employee on the job, and I've had a great time at parties with this new big head.